cricket, I think uh, it's 1-1 in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fourth test is the final test, the winner takes all the trophy. Uh, so Australia just started batting and they're one for 15. So those are uh, very interested in the specifics of it, but it's a really exciting series and Australia and India share a, a common love for this game. And uh, it's great to see such a great contest. All right, I'm Muay Thai boxing with my India, bu- my Indian buddy tomorrow, so I'm not going to pick sides. So I don't want to punch me in the face, but uh, no, you know, <laughs> I hope you enjoy the series. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. All right, I'm looking at the markets right now. It is green light go. The Nikkei, Kospi, and Australian stock exchanges are all up. Uh, we are going to have a quick look today. It's 16 degrees right now. We're looking at highs of 21. It's going to be hot and sweaty out there by my standards, mainly fine and dry. That is your weather, and I am Andrew Work on Money Talk. And it's 8.31, and Barry O'Rourke has the half-hour news. Indonesia's Disaster Mitigation Agency says at least three people have died and 24 have been injured after an earthquake struck the island of Sulawesi. The quake had a magnitude of 6.2. Hundreds of people have been evacuated. The US Vice President Mike Pence says he will ensure a safe inauguration for Joe Biden next week as security is ramped up across the nation. Mr Pence said the FBI had already identified 200 suspects who could be planning further unrest following last week's storming of Congress by supporters of President Trump. The BBC's David Willis reports. The concern, it seems, is of armed protests, not just in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, but also in state capitals across the country. And indeed, the fear is that last week's terrible mob violence in Washington, D.C., rather than deterring people from going to the capital next week, may actually have emboldened some to attempt to do so and to cause similar damage. The U.S. president-elect Joe Biden is expected to outline a $1.9 trillion spending package to combat the coronavirus pandemic and its effects on the economy. The details of the proposal are being revealed by Mr. Biden in a speech in Delaware. Media reports say the package will include an additional direct payment of $1,400 to all adults. New York State's Attorney General has filed a lawsuit against the New York City Police Department for excessive use of force during Black Lives Matter protests last year. The lawsuit demands reforms to the police force and calls for an external monitor to oversee the department's policing tactics at future protests. The NYPD has yet to respond to the state's attorney general, Letitia James. Over the course of the protest from May to December of 2020, NYPD officers engaged in blatant use of excessive force and often misconduct, including the indiscriminate, unjustified and repeated use of batons, pepper spray, bicycles, and a crowd-controlled tactic known as kettling. Almost a million Americans filed for a new unemployment benefit in the first full week of the new year. The sharp increase is a sign that the coronavirus pandemic continues to damage a still fragile U.S. job market. The BBC's Samira Hussain reports from New York. The number of Americans filing for unemployment benefits surged in the first full work week of January to 965,000. It is a marked increase from last week's total of 784,000. Economists are bracing for additional claims in the coming weeks, as many restaurants and businesses who were able to move outdoors during the summer are unable to keep their operations going in the cooler weather. This is the news from RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chewett and your co-host today is Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. Today we're talking about BNOs and a new air taxi service. The South China Morning Post has reported, learned from sources, that next week's NPC Standing Committee meeting will consider whether to allow those with BNO, that's British National Overseas Passports, to hold public office in Hong Kong. Earlier, Executive Councillor Regina Yip had called on Beijing to strip residents with foreign citizenship of their right to be to permanent residence, saying Beijing is considering changing arrangements that Hong Kong Chinese who acquire a foreign nationality by emigration or other means voluntarily would automatically lose their right to concurrently hold a Hong Kong special administrative region passport. Well, what do you think of the ideas? Should they apply to all foreign passport holders? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can call us on 233-88266 or you can email backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, once again, our email address, backchat at rthk.hk. Danny. And a couple of emails related to COVID. Um, Leslie says, uh, Dear Backchat, please ask uh, Dr. Ma, that's Erisina Ma, who was on the Backchat earlier, why are they are not even starting to vaccinate until after the Chinese New Year holiday? It's crazy. They need to roll this out immediately. Uh, an email from Mike. Um, Mike, I'm afraid uh, some of this uh, email doesn't make sense without some context. If you, particularly the first paragraph, if you'd like to resend that and explain explain what what you're actually referring to, we're happy to look at it. But uh, let, let, let me read out uh, the rest of the email, which re- refers to uh, COVID-19. Um, referring to the vaccine, Mike says, oh, uh, uh, "Take the vaccine. That's not the question. The truth everyone is dancing around is what does the vaccine do?" It lessens the bad of the virus, saving lives. But for prevention, wear an N95 mask and washing your hand before touching your face. The vaccine does not completely prevent the virus. It just lessens the viral load. Okay? And then in a dumbed-down version, he says of this, he says vaccines all have a similar action. That's why it's thought to be, be effective with the new British version of COVID-19. Due to the vaccine, your immune system has a heads-up and reacts faster to a virus load. If you get a heavy virus load, even after your vaccine, the chances are high that you'll get COVID. These are not my opinions, uh, other than the um, shortened virus pathways in the non-medically-minded version. You can take this to the bank. Thank you very much, Mike. And some comments on uh, American politics as well. Uh, Dan Van Hoy says, in our discussion yesterday, as I was asked what's ahead for the Republican Party, but didn't give a good answer. Let me try again. The Republican Party is understandably in disarray at the moment. I doubt they they know what's next. My hope is that they will put maximum effort towards winning back the House and the Senate to reduce the damage being done by the other side. Winter is coming. In fact, is already upon us. That's from uh, Dan Van Hoy. Uh, And um, Anthony S. says, discussions around President Trump have been far too sensational and emotional in my opinion. We won't get an objective verdict on this man until 50 to 100 years from now. Not to spoil the whole franchise, but King Joffrey's life didn't end too well. Cersei Lannister aka Lena Headey is an amazing actress. Uh, Let's hope that the US won't become a shamble like the finale season of Game of Thrones. Uh, uh, Matthew uh, has a comment on BNI. Maybe we'll get to that in a moment. Um, uh, Simon 
says, Dear Backchat, with the subject line, How long will Backchat continue for? While listening to your discussion about American politics on Thursday with representatives of both Democratic and Republican parties, it was depressing to think that such a discussion about Hong Kong is no longer possible. Not only did the Backchat Person of the Year disappear into a mainland-style vacuum, like Jack Ma, it seems that the presumption of innocence has also disappeared, not just for people charged under the national security law, but also now that being arrested without charge is sufficient to prevent non-pro-China individuals from being interviewed by RTHK, including Backchat. As many moderates were arrested last week, it's untrue to state that all those arrested last week were potentially unreliable to interview live. The statement on Tuesday showed that none of the recent arrestees were likely to be interviewed by Backchat on any subject due to sensitivities at the moment is effectively another method for the government to silence those who seek different or better policies, since the moment is likely to last for a very long time if the CCP get their way. How long do we have to wait until picking quarrels and provoking trouble is an offence in Hong Kong as well. The pool of interviewees for Backchat is decreasing at a rapid rate. I will miss you when you are taken off the air by RTHK management. Uh, uh, brackets later this year, question mark. A sorrowful Simon. Thank you very much indeed for those comments. Our guests this morning, uh, Emily Lau, a former Democratic Party lawmaker, and Michael Chigani, veteran TV host and journalist. As we discussed um, all the reports this week about um, possibly stripping uh, residency rights, even voting rights from uh, BNO passport holders and um, possibly other people holding foreign passports as well. The National People's Congress Standing Committee meeting next week, and although it's not yet on the agenda, a lot of speculation that uh, they will be discussing this topic. Uh, Emily Lau, good morning. Let's go to you first. Good morning. Now, there are a lot of reports around. It, it seems reasonable to, um, uh, expect, to suppose that something is about to happen. Do you agree? Oh, yes. Uh, because the Chinese government has warned... I think several months ago that uh, they are against the British government's move to issue BNO visas and they will uh, retaliate. And, uh, and then, of course, Regina Yip came up with her proposal, which I think is quite crazy. But now uh, the SEMP uh, received this uh, information, which I think is quite reliable, that uh, the issue will be addressed at the NPC uh, standing committee meeting next week. So it is very serious. We, and I think, sorry? Sorry, go on. And I think what they're proposing is quite crazy. And if, if you know, people like us, when we speak, I guess they don't listen. And uh, uh, the pro-establishment figures, the pro-communist figures in Hong Kong, if they think that the proposal is really quite outrageous and unacceptable, then they should speak out. Otherwise, I mean, maybe it, won't, it doesn't help, but still... Hong Kong people should speak out. We have not lost our voice. Well, the point they make, which is, is, is not incorrect, is to, is to say, well, that there, there, there was an agreement that, um, um, that China agreed to recognise BNOs and in, in return Britain agreed not to grant right of abode. And uh, as uh, the chief executive put it earlier this week, if, if one side bre breaks that agreement, then the, the other side's entitled to take corresponding action. Actually, that is not part of the Sino-British agreement. It's an exchange of letters accompanying the agreement. I, yes, I, I, exchange of memorandum. So it's saying this is my position and that is your position and we take note. Okay, you can say in 1984 that's the understanding. And the British, why did they do it? I've been asking them to give British citizenship to the Hong Kong people for over 30 years. Hmm. And they did nothing. And then bang! In July last year, 
Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, announced it. Why? Because the Chinese enacted the national security law, which, of course, made very many people very angry and upset and frightened. So there is this, you know, sequence of events. Okay, so if you say the British have done something wrong, then you target the British government. What I can't understand is, why do you target the victims, the people who are so frightened and who are so scared? It, it is quite ridiculous. What do you think they're actually more... There's a wide range of measures they could take from just um, refusing to recognise BNO passports, which is no big deal because nobody uses their passport coming out of Hong Kong, um, to uh, the, these reports that they'd actually strip the voting rights of anyone who has a BNO. Um, where, where do you think the, the final action is going to lie? Um, at either end of the spectrum or somewhere in between? Well, I think it's a very dangerous profession to second-guess Beijing. And given the current climate... Uh, the, the harsher policy we second guess, maybe that would be right. Because what they're proposing is to not allow BNOs uh, to uh, take up uh, posts in government or in public service. Well, that is very, very big deal. I don't know whether anybody has a figure on how many BNOs are in the civil service, are in public service. But that is, that is horrendous. I mean... Why do they want to do that? Okay, from day one, they have said they would not recognize the BNO as a travel document, and that's fine. But now, if they want to escalate and do that, I don't know whether you have invited civil service uh, representatives to come onto your program. Ask them what they think. Are all these people going to renounce the BNO, or are they going to uh, quit the civil, or maybe forced to quit the civil service? Okay, Michael Chigani, good morning to you. Morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Uh, I mean, really, Hong Kong's been pretty generous about this uh, in the past, more generous than most places, and been very open to foreign passport holders and uh, been very generous over the BNO. But the time has come, in, in some people's minds, to um, just kind of sort this out and, and let people choose. And um, if you want to stand in public office, if you want to have the benefits of residency and, and so on, you have to uh, choose your, uh, you know, which side you're on. That's fair enough, isn't it? Well, that's fair enough, but uh, let's start from the beginning. Uh, we talked about the joint declaration, and uh, I think you guys have said that, uh, okay, uh, it is felt that uh, allowing BNO passport holders to settle in the UK is a violation of that. Uh, but let's go back to some time ago when Beijing itself said that the joint declaration is now a historical document. When you had said that it is a historical document, and then now you cherry pick and say, well, you're violating it. Well, uh, Mike, uh, as um, Emily Lau pointed out, they, l perhaps luckily for them, um, this part about uh, BNOs and passports wasn't actually part of the joint declaration itself. It was in, in a separate letter. Yeah. Now, that, well, that's a reasonable argument to make it's associated with it, but it's not actually part of the joint declaration. Sure. So, OK, then Britain says, OK, the national security law has also violated the uh, joint declaration, and therefore we're going to violate it too. There are two ways to look at it, right? Okay, so you choose sides. I don't think that's uh, not fair, choose sides. But everybody then has to choose sides. We've got over a million Hong Kong people holding foreign passports. Not all of them, BNO, Canadian, Australian, American, British, whatever, right? Including Carrie Lam's husband and two sons. They hold British passports. Choose sides, ask them to show 
the first step by choosing sides. Give up their passports. Don't you agree? Why target, why, and, and, and uh, Regina Yip says, uh, have a cut-off date. You cannot have a law that says, from now on, you cannot have it. But, you know, from 1997 or 1984, when a lot of people were immigrating, until now, until that cut-off date, you can have it. Well, you know you can have laws that have cut-off dates. You do all the time. And, in fact, in terms sure. of uh, residency rights in, in 1997, they, they did have a cut-off date in terms of people <laughs> returning fairly shortly after the handover. So I'm not advocating a... it, but you could, certainly could do that. So you can, Danny, you can have a cut-off date, but then you have got to go back to the core issue. Chinese law does not allow dual nationality. They turned a blind eye. Mm. And now you say, okay, there's a cutoff date. But okay, the ones before can still hold it. That is still violating Chinese law, which says you cannot have dual nationality. Well, they, so, you know, how, how do you figure that out? They can make an exception if they wish. I mean, that's what they've essentially done at the moment. We, we, we should remember that allowing Hong Kong people to hold two passports, which, as you say, is is a violation of the position normally under Chinese, Chinese law, yeah. is, is just based on an interpretation that the Standing Committee issued earlier of their own nationality law. They could easily issue a new interpretation that either rescinds the old one or changes it to a cut-off date. I mean, sure, they can you, do pretty you, much you anything. You can do that. You, I mean, they, they, you know, a Communist Party can do whatever it wants, right? You can do that. But then you're going to have this, an awkward situation in Hong Kong that a guy after the cut-off date cannot have a foreign passport. Now, are we talking only about BNO passports or other passports? Supposing a guy after the cut-off date decides to emigrate to Canada, will that person be included? I don't know. I mean, you know, but we have got a situation here today that I'm born in Hong Kong. I cannot have an SCR passport because I've got an American passport. Well, and if, if I you... want to have a local passport, I've got to give up my American passport because of dual nationality issue. Well, tough. That you've chosen well, an American sure, one. It's tough. I, yeah. you know, I, I don't mind it at all. But the thing is, you've got to be consistent, right? So why do you, why do you have to say that a, a guy who has got a Chinese blood flowing through his veins can have an SAR passport, a Canadian passport, and an Australian uh, passport on, all at the same time? Be, be, be careful here, Mark, my, Michael, because if you're arguing for consistency, you're actually arguing for tougher rules to be applied than to people who are uh, Hong Kong Chinese. Uh, as you, you're, you're quite right. There are the double standards at the moment under law. Someone like you who is not ethnically Chinese, born in Hong Kong, um, or someone like me who's lived here a long time, we would have to give up our foreign passport to have yeah, a right. Hong Kong... Uh, at the moment, those who are ethnically Chinese, that does not apply to them. But, I mean, if they change the rules, then they would be in the same situation as us. And you could say that would be removing the double standards. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a double standard, then you've got to remove it. You cannot have a double standard. I mean, this is my view. You cannot have a double standard pre-cutoff and no double standard after cutoff date, right? And then the thing is, you, you have to ask all civil servants, like you know, was, uh, Emily was talking about, uh, uh, a lot of them have foreign passports. Some of the legislative councillors, as Emily would know, in the functional constituencies, also hold foreign passports. Then what happens with them? I mean, you, you have a situation where a person holding public office, like a legislative member, before the cut-off date, can still hold it. And then a person, after or whatever the NPC decides to do, uh, you cannot hold that. You've got to swear allegiance and you cannot have a BNO or any other passport. But the ones that were before that cutoff date or before the NPC decision can still do it and hold public office. Does that make any sense? Uh, uh, Emily Lau, could this be uh, politically motivated? Could this be, could Regina be directing this at 
uh, uh, Carrie Lam for a start uh, has has been suggested by, by by commentators, or could this be in a broader sense? I mean, just renewing uh, Hong Kong, that the the colonial legacy of Hong Kong uh, lingers in all the sort of uh, the, the the British connections and the uh, Commonwealth connections that so many people have here, and uh, Beijing just wants to get rid of those and get a fresh start and a new Hong Kong, and this is this is part of that. I don't think so. Um, now, Regina Yip wants to be chief executive, and I think that's a, not a, any secret. And uh, she would be targeting anyone who's sitting there in that office. Uh, but, uh, but what she's proposing is to have this cut-off date. And all those people who have uh, foreign citizenship and so on will not be affected. So she is not targeting them because many of the rich and powerful have foreign citizenship. In fact, they have five or six passports each, and she's five, not five or them. sorry, five or six, Emily. That's I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because many people have told me, say, Emily, I've got five, six passports in my drawer. I've got you know uh, one from Tonga, one from Fiji, <laughs> and then one from maybe Canada, and then one from elsewhere. But but why, Danny? This is the very sad history of Hong Kong because for many decades, whether under colonial rule or now under Chinese rule, the people do not think the government looks after them. So for their own security and comfort and safety, they want to secure a foreign citizenship and, of course, a lot of money. So if things go wrong, if they have to flee like refugees and all that, they have a place to go to, not like some in other countries. You have to clutch a handful of U.S. dollars and beg someone to let you get onto the helicopter. So this is it. So they have many passports. And what Regina is saying, never mind. If you have acquired that, uh, you have acquired right of a boat under the British nationality selection scheme, all that you can keep. But we have a cutoff date, maybe next year and so on. So you cannot. So she's not touching them. But the thing is, as I said, this is Hong Kong's history. It's a legacy. We should respect it. But now, why is Beijing thinking of saying, oh, all you BNOs, we will kick you out of the government. You cannot hold public office. Now, that is very serious. Because I think many civil servants, those who are listening in now, they are very worried. In fact, someone asked me two months ago, the civil servant who wants to leave anyway to get the BNO, they say, but, hey, yes, they but, ask us to take the oath. But, <coughs> but Ms Lau, how many, how many in the end are going to say, well, actually, my job here is pretty good, and right, do I really want to go to the UK? Look what's happening in the UK. Uh, and all my family is here and everything else. Even if I'm not 100% happy with what's happening in Hong Kong, it's better than anywhere else. My salary is a lot higher than it would be in the UK. Yeah, you are right. There will be people like that. But there also will be people who will be fleeing, who will be going. And today in the Chinese newspaper, they expect, I don't know, 300,000 or whatever number of people, and they say they will take out $280 billion out of Hong Kong, outflow of capital. So, I mean, okay, you go and do some research. But what I am saying is, we want to preserve Hong Kong as a free and safe and vibrant city. We want the people to stay and make it work. 
why do we want to have policies which would frighten people, which would make them upset, and which would make some of them go? Okay, uh, some some uh, emails. Matthew says, I would love to know what proportion of BNO passport holders and dual nationality Hong Kong people are pro-establishment patriots. I bet it's at least half, if not more. We already know that pragmatism, prioritisation uh, of self-interest and hypocrisy are core attributes of Hong Kong patriots. We've need even our most loyal leaders like Carrie Lam, former DAB chairman Tam Yu Chung and the Education Secretary all, sending, all choosing to send their families to live in Western democracies. I'm sure none of our vocal and loyal Western democracy-hating backchat new listener cadre would see the need to hold any other than a Hong Kong SAR passport and Chinese nationality. And if they ever held another nationality, they would have uh, already proactively uh, given it up long ago as a matter of patriotic principle. Right, guys? That comes uh, from uh, Matthew. Thanks very much. Our email, backchat.rthk.hk. Michael Chigani, would you consider leaving? <laughs> it, it doesn't apply to me because I have an American passport, uh, so I can leave whenever I want to leave. Uh, and uh, I would not be telling the truth if I said that it hasn't occurred to me, uh, it's occurred to a lot of people that they may want to go, depending on how the situation unfolds in Hong Kong. Every day you wake up, something different has happened. I mean, when, when, did it, when did it first occur to you? I mean, you used to be someone who was fairly enthusiastic about uh, things in Hong Kong and also a few years ago fairly supportive of the Hong Kong government. Well, the thing is, things was, uh, that was going back like five years, okay, yes. years ago. Uh, I have changed simply because Hong Kong has changed and simply because it's not what I think Hong Kong should be. I mean, you've got a national security law that targets everybody. Whatever you do, you've got somebody wearing a face mask that says five demands, not one less. The initials only and it's got thrown out of court. Uh, and uh, a, factory make, a factory that made these masks was forced to shut down after being attacked by the mainland media. And then you wake up in the morning. Today, yesterday, 11 were arrested. So many other days, uh, 53 were arrested, but not charged and released on police bail. I mean, this is not the Hong Kong that I know, right? And when all these things began to happen, you start saying, well, how long will it take until the city becomes unrecognizable to me? What, what do you think was the turning point for you? I mean, people have commented, Michael, on the change, you're, you're such a prominent figure, they have commented on your change of views. What, what do you think the turning point was for you? Well, the turning point was, you know, people said my view has changed and I was uh, a supporter of the blue camp. That, that's really not true. I really want to put the record straight. I uh, started supporting certain policies of Siwalel when he said that uh, mainland women cannot have babies here. Because, you know, there would be an explosion. They would then go back to China and then come back when their kids are of age and go to school here, but they don't pay tax. I thought that was wrong. So he put a stop to that, and I supported that. And then when he said and there were so many parallel goods traders coming into Hong Kong from Shenzhen, and they could come like three, four times a day, and then he said, no, you only come once a week. And I supported that. And then he said, you know, people coming over and snapping up milk, baby milk formula. And he said, you can only bring two cans. And I supported that. And then I finally, I said, you know, when, when we had the uh, political reform package uh, in 2014, or I can't remember, or 2015, before Occupy, uh, <coughs> and I said, you know, if you don't take it now, you may never have it. And I was right. You're not going to have it now. So I said, you know, take it and then see what happens and then fight for some more. 
It's earn, earn Beijing's trust. Now, when I wrote these articles, people thought that I was supportive of the, of, of the government. I wasn't. I was supporters of, supportive of several policies, not blind support, right? I've got to make that clear. Okay, but now you very rarely find, you, do, you don't find anything in government policies or major government policies you support. Well, you, you, you've got a person like Carrie Lamb uh, as the chief executive, and uh, she's, everything is reactive rather than proactive. And, and the turning point was when a million people and then two million came out and, and, and said, please, withdraw the extradition bill, and she refused. And then she said, what have I done wrong? And then she tried to push through that thing in Lechko, and then you've got the storming of Lechko, and everybody knows what happened after that, right? Now, when two million people come out and, and, and say, please, peacefully, and say, please, don't do this, and she doesn't listen. And now you, you hear government officials say... And she did listen. <laughs> well, then she did withdraw it. She did listen, but when did she listen? After all these black flag guys came out, and then she listened. Look at the date. Look at the timing. When she changed. Okay. She changed later in the year. She said the bill was dead. It was late, much later when protests went crazy everywhere. Then she changed it, right? She should have withdrew it uh, when two million people came up peacefully. She just said, okay, I hear you. I'm going to take it away. But she did not. She said, I am right. You two million people are wrong. And she pushed ahead with it. And then she caused all of this. And now they say they want to change out of this National People's Congress thing. Apparently, reportedly, is that they want to change the way... Uh, you know, people are elected to LegCo and, and, and the district councils and so on. And then you, you hear people like uh, Tam Yu-Chong and some of the pro-Stabian people saying, you know, they are not the right people to be elected. They're not serving Hong Kong. Who the hell are you to say who is serving Hong Kong who is not? It is the people's right to choose. Okay. If they're not serving Hong Kong, they throw them out of the next election. That's what I believe. I believe in that kind of democracy. Right. Not some pro-Beijing guy saying, the ones that have been elected, like the district council people last uh, in November 2019, are not the right people. The people decided, not you. Okay. Well, Michael Chigani, thanks for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, Emily Lau will stay with us. We're going to continue talking about BNA. We're also going to be talking a little bit about that new air taxi service, uh, Uber in the air. Uh, join in. Call us, 233-88266. The weather before the news at 9 o'clock. It's going to be mainly fine today and dry, apart from some haze. Temperatures up to about 21 degrees today, and the outlook mainly fine in the next few days. Uh, mild during the day tomorrow. 16 degrees now. Relative humidity is at 59%. Welcome back. Friday's back chat with Danny Gittings and me, Hugh Chiverson. We're talking about the BNO uh, issue. Uh, we're later, we're going to be talking about a uh, new air taxi service, uh, which is being launched with a former Director General of Civil Aviation and an academic. Uh, we want to comment. Uh, we want to hear from you. 233-88266 is the uh, telephone number. Uh, we're joined now by uh, Emily Lau, uh, former head of the Democratic Party. And we'll see if we can get Michael Teen uh, as well. He's got a LegCo meeting as well, but we, we he may uh, drop in. Um, don't drive and uh, phone, uh, obviously, uh, Michael. Uh, and, uh, of course, we're taking emails back, chat at rthk.hk. A couple of emails on the nationality issue. Uh, Jay says, whether it be 300,000 people or 3 million people with B&O passports, you still have to qualify to get into Britain, Canada or America. And most people here don't want to leave Hong Kong because their families are here. And if you lose 300,000 BNO passports, many of these are people with money, who have businesses who create work and jobs. So is the government planning to increase un um, unemployment in Hong Kong? 
If this happens, many educated and skilled will leave. Thank you. Uh, and an email from uh, Din, um, which is actually just referring to um, the procedure for renouncing Chinese nationality. He says, under the Chinese constitution, certain categories of Chinese nationals can renounce their Chinese nationality, and the Hong Kong Immigration Department has a simple procedure for that. And indeed, pointing to a link on the Hong Kong uh, Immigration Department's website, where they do indeed list the um, uh, criteria for renouncing your Chinese nationality, which would include Hong Kong Chinese nationality uh, under Chinese nationality law. And uh, yes, thank you for pointing out. It is quite true, and some people have done it, that um, at the moment, anyone in Hong Kong who does not want to be considered a Chinese national uh, just has to go to the Immigration Department and fill in a form. And as long as that's accepted, I understand it normally is, then you cease to be a Chinese national. Okay. Um, Simon, in an email, says, It will be interesting to see what China actually does about the likely BNO and others' exodus. While it would hurt the apparently sensitive CCP pride if tens of thousands leave Hong Kong, ultimately the departure of these troublemakers and malcontents, in inverted commas, would help accelerate the mainland uh, colonisation policy which has been in operation since before the handover. With another 273,900 one-way permit holders due to arrive in the next five years to join the one million who've already arrived since 1997 and a move to allow patriotic Chinese to vote potentially uh, uh, arriving before the summer, the departure of BNO holders would only help accelerate the first time pro-China votes will become a majority in Hong Kong elections. The only positive aspect of this is that it accelerates the inevitable purge where the loyalty shown by various pro-establishment figures will be rewarded in the traditional Communist Party manner. Maybe Regina and Carrie should, in brackets, re-apply for their British passports. Best regards, that comes uh, from Simon. We, I believe we now have Michael Teen on the line, Michael Teen Roundtable Lawmaker. Good morning, Mr Teen. Good morning. My apologies. I was just speaking electrical. Okay. Well, th- thank you very much for joining us. Um, um, what there, there are a lot of reports around that the Standing Committee is going to make an announcement on nationality um, uh, next week. W- w- what do you expect to happen? I expect that they will simply make an announcement that they would not recognize the BNO uh, <coughs> uh, passport as a valid passport. But that, mean, that means nothing, really, doesn't it? Because, I mean, people don't use Absolutely. their BNOs in Hong Kong. Absolutely. Bunch of hot air. Basically, in 1996, uh, the uh, Standing Committee of the National People's Congress uh, had already made it clear that those who obtained dual citizenship before 97 will get to keep the two citizenships uh, as long as they return to Hong Kong. Uh, once every three months, they could even keep their Hong Kong permanent uh, residentship. I think you mean three, three years. years. Three years, right? Oh, sorry, sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, but uh, then already at that time it's clear that anybody who acquired a foreign citizenship after 97, the Chinese citizenship is deemed to have ceased. But, but, let's draw a clear distinction between a Chinese citizenship uh, uh, of a Hong Kong-born person and that person's permanent residency status residency status in Hong Kong. These are two different things. But where the, all these reports uh, have surfaced in the press in the past few days about uh, stripping um, right of vote in Hong Kong or even voting rights from people who hold BNOs. I mean, uh, newspapers aren't making oh, these up. On, they're, 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 these reports the voting, are coming from somewhere. You, 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 the voting rights is attached to your permanent residency in Hong Kong. So, example, you, you gentlemen, okay, uh, you, you 
you have foreign passport or you're a foreign national, but you have permanent residency in power, so you can vote. But somebody who has Chinese citizenship but do not have, uh, uh, does not have permanent residence in Hong Kong cannot vote. So the key to all these people, if you want to have a deterrent or you want to punish them, the key is the Hong Kong permanent residency status. To be I, pragmatic about it. I, I understand that and I agree. That is protected under the basic law. It has nothing to do with whether you uh, lose it if you lose your Chinese citizenship. I, I agree with you about, about all those legal obstacles. They're very, very strong legal obstacles to change. But the fact is these reports have emerged this week and they've emerged in lots of different places. And past experience has told us when these kind of reports emerge, they are often accurate. Why, why do you think they're wrong in this case? Sorry, I don't understand what you mean when you say these reports What's are accurate. Quite a they few new simply, They would be simply reiterating what is already the law. In addition, they will probably most likely announce that they will not recognize the PNO passport, which is nothing. So what's the big deal? If that's all they're going to do, they're going to announce. Yes, then yes I believe that's all they're going to do. What else can they do? Okay. They're going to go after people who have due citizenship before 97? What's for? Okay, and these, these are the people that help build Hong Kong, and they are living here, and you want to drive them away? E Emily Lau, are you reassured from what you hear from Michael Teen? Not really. Um, I think Michael should know that uh, the fact that Chinese government said in 1984 that they do not uh, recognize the BNO anyway. So if they say it again, I mean, it's nothing. <laughs> so they said it many years ago. And, uh, and uh, I think that uh, several months ago when they said they're going to retaliate, I think that means they will do something more than repeating what they said in 1984. But I certainly hope that Michael is right and other NPC delegates would be like Michael, will come out and say that, you know, just say you don't recognize that uh, travel document. But I guess it, it, it's going to be more than that. And I hope Michael can sense uh, the severity of the problem and the fact that many people are very, very anxious and what's more, next week at the meeting of the uh, NPCSC, they're also going to discuss changing the electoral law, like uh, stripping uh, LegCo of the five super seats elected by a district, uh, nominated by district councillors, taking away the 170 members from the uh, CE election committee. There are all these things. <laughs> they are going to shut up. They are going to silence the opposition. Emily, and now, Hong Kong people. You, you raise an important point. Let, let's put that back to Michael Teen. Um, do you expect changes to Hong Kong's electoral system to be announced at the Standing Committee next week, Michael Teen? Uh, I, would, uh, I would have to say I think there will be some changes. To what extent, I really don't know at this point. Uh, they would have to come up with an argument to justify it. And all I can say is if you look at the past NPC uh, standing committee decisions and behavior, uh, I would uh, uh, have confidence that however far they go, they need to lean back at uh, text and documents and whatever is in the Constitution 
But but what if it's what if it's something like uh, public office? Because there are already kind of there's a, there's a certain barrier, isn't there? There's a certain level above which uh, you know uh, public public officers have to uh, well, renounce any foreign nationality. You just lower that so they're all civil servants. Honestly, so, I have always felt it strange that why is it the electoral member elected uh, have to make an oath and the district councillor does not have to make an oath. I think that's a blatant oversight in the past because it is a public office and it carries political influence. All right, so if they change it so that all the district councillors need to uh, make that oath, then of course certain things would follow depend on what this council and, and has civil done. servants. The oath that civil servants will shortly have to have to take. Um, could yeah, you, could, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you would you could. Uh, you could not have any foreign passport holders in the civil service. I, I, I think I think they will make it uh, point blank that anybody who is in public service who benefits from the public office in terms of getting paid, all right, uh, will have to uh, swear allegiance, uh, plead allegiance to the basic law. And yes, they are. And and not have a foreign passport. Well, you can't be a, you can't be an exco and have a foreign passport. Why no, don't they no, just? Even, the, no, no, no. Even twenty percent of national member allowed to have a foreign passport. Yeah, it's yeah not, but you just changed that. Well, that's it, that the basic law. The national people's congress would have to change that. That's actually yeah, 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 to yeah, the basic yeah, law, yeah. isn't it? So, right. uh, no. right, so, so right, right. Michael Teen, you, you tend to be, you be I, saying you you refuse to believe that they're going to touch the basic law. Okay. <laughs> you, you expect changes on the oath requirements and the non-recognition of uh, uh, BNOs, but you don't expect other changes on nationality, and then you do perhaps expect some changes on the election system, the election system being the uh, proposals to change how the legislative council is elected or the election committee for the chief executive. Is there a lot of reports there will be changes in one or other of those? I think most of the changes will be on uh, the right to vote, and the right to run for public office, uh, uh, whether that person has shown, uh, uh, how should I say, allegiance and loyalty to the basic law and the SAR government in the past. The right to vote, though, what kind of changes on the right to vote? I understand the right to run for office. What kind of changes on the right to vote? Okay, the right to vote pertains to a small section of our population, which is the CD. Uh, electoral committee. Oh, okay. You on know, the... we have 1,200 and it's elected by uh, something like 200,000, right? So you would expect the uh, the right to vote on, not the right to vote in legislative council elections, uh, but, which is all permanent residence, but the, the right to vote on, on the election committee for the CE, that there would be changes on that. Yes. Okay. Um, Emily Lau, we should really go back to you. Um, Michael Teen painting a very mixed picture here, right? Perhaps not nearly as bad as um, many people fear. Well, all I can say is I hope that people like Michael and others who really uh, want to defend Hong Kong's interests and to preserve Hong Kong as a free, safe and vibrant city underpinned by the rule of law will speak out loudly to Beijing if they see Beijing as uh, contemplating actions or policies which will destroy Hong Kong. Uh, and many people, I don't know whether Michael knows, Many people are very, very uh, frightened, are very anxious, and, and, and some are, you know, mentally not well. So this is the city 
So Michael cannot just go around and thinking that everything is chunky dory. But you should tell Beijing that this is a city which is very, very anxious and very frightened. Michael Tin, last word. <laughs> last word. I always try to not take sides and be very fair and objective about any kind of uh, new uh, law restrictions imposed on the freedom of uh, every citizen in Hong Kong under the one country, two system uh, concept. Okay. Alan in an email says the CCP is busy disqualifying any unreliable people from standing for office. Next, we'll be fixing the voting rolls. Anyone not a PRC citizen will be purged. Then allow a million mainlanders to vote in the next election. Maybe then they will feel safe to have an election. Also, time to retire the Asia's World City slogan. It will be China's Chinese-only city. That is uh, from uh, Alan. Uh, thanks very much indeed for, for those comments. Actually, we haven't heard that Asia's World City slogan for quite a while. No, I think it might have been dropped anyway. <laughs> On the sly. Uh, Michael Tin, thanks for joining us, the Roundtable uh, lawmaker, and thanks to uh, Emily Lau, former head of the Democratic Party. Uh, HEB says in an email, the UK merely needs to allow us former British dependent territory citizens to renounce our British nationality once in our lifetime, like British citizens can, and then apply to regain that status later once we've got past post-colonial retaliations over our status. But we should all be concerned over the continued use of the term passport holder, as that helps undermine any sense of nationality stroke citizenship. The root issue here isn't simply about whose travel document one chooses, one uses. Uh, that's from uh, HEB. John in Sai Kung says uh, the media publishing every stupid idea DAB and Broomhead proposes, encouraging her to continue creating media grabbing hype. Not everybody necessarily will know what the reference Broomhead refers to. Uh, that's a reference to the former Secretary for Security, uh, Regina Yip. Uh, CW uh, says, Michael Chigani, great interview with Patrick Nip on Tuesday on TVB regarding the vaccine programme. I came away feeling disappointed. Why is Hong Kong so slow with starting the vaccine programme? And so many have already started. And Rick says, why would I now look to give up my British passport when I've always been denied a Hong Kong passport? Uh, similarly, my son, who was born in Hong Kong, is also not allowed a Hong Kong passport. As for Carrie Lam, does anyone really care about her double standards? That's uh, from... Uh, Rick, thank you very much indeed for, for those comments. One more from TC uh, on Facebook who says, it's been my observation that most people who love China, love Hong Kong, have foreign passports as well as their children. If anything, I support any measures that keep people loyalty honest. Uh, that is from uh, TC. Thanks very much indeed for, for those uh, comments. Finally today, we wanted to turn to uh, a new airline uh, of sorts, uh, which is uh, kicking off uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, it's an air taxi service uh, planning to uh, run between uh, Hong Kong and the Greater Bay Area uh, this year. Uh, users, they say, will be able to hail an air taxi on an app uh, just like uh, Uber. This is Seaplane Hong Kong. It's going to start with some uh, Twin Otter aircraft, seaplanes. Uh, uh, for comment, we're joined now by Akim Cherny, who's uh, Associate Professor in the Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies at the Polytechnic University. Good morning to you. Thanks for, for, for joining us once again. Yes, uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. This is, I mean, this is very striking, uh, this, this, this idea. What, what's the, I mean, who might possibly use this and why would you, and, and why? <laughs> 
Well, I mean, uh, I, uh, first of all, I think it's a cool image, right? You have the seaplane yeah, around yeah. Hong Kong. So I think this is uh, kind of a nice idea. And I think everyone who's kind of having entrepreneurs in Hong Kong coming up with these ideas and trying to implementing them, uh, I think that's, that's good. Um, and uh, who's going to fly with this? Well, uh, certainly um, they said they're going to have some charter services and some, you know, you can even uh, book a single seat. Um, and uh, it, it looked to me, if I remember the numbers right, that the single flight may not be even so expensive. I don't exactly remember. But they do seem to target sort of more uh, people who are willing to pay some extra price for some, like, luxury service. Um, and certainly, I think this, you know, I, I feel like uh, this is a, an interesting idea because uh, you can really, you know, these seaplanes, because Hong Kong is, of course, you know, the Hong Kong island, everything is very close. It's, it's right there at the sea, so you can fly directly to the city center basically with a seaplane, so that's very convenient. And I guess the same is true for the Greater Bay Area, so it could be a very fast and effective way of flying between the different places in the Greater Bay Area. So I think this, you know, I think altogether it's, a, it's an interesting idea. Isn't this just about the worst time in history to start a new airline, though? I've got to say, who on earth would do, be doing that oh, now? Well, um, that's, yeah, um, first of all, I mean, they're going to start this year. So for sure, right now, I mean, you still can fly within Hong Kong, right? I mean, this is not, not, a, not a, you know, from certain places that are far from each other. I think that is uh, also one of the, the ideas. Um, but of course, Greater Bay Area, Hong Kong, would be more complicated. But hopefully, once they start their businesses, then the situation will have changed, and then uh, things will look better. What I really thought was interesting, actually, is their their business plan. In the sense that they do apparently they do not necessarily attempt to break even with their transport or with these air taxi services but rather have it as an add-on to their some of their real estate projects, like four or five-star hotels, shopping centers, and so on and so forth. And that's, that's actually an interesting idea because it's also something that we see in other places in the air transport industry. For instance, Hong Kong International Airport, at normal times, of course not right now, but at normal times, earns around 40% of their revenue from so-called non-aviation services. And this includes, like, shopping, uh, restaurants, food and beverages, and so on and so forth. And this is actually true globally. So the idea that you are having these transport services as an add-on to your real estate projects to make them more valuable is actually, you know, very interesting and... Uh, yeah, it would be, uh, you know, look forward to see how, how this is going to work out. Mm. We're also joined by Albert Lamb, a former Director General of Civil Aviation. Mr Lamb, good morning. Oh, good morning to you. Thanks very much indeed for, for, for joining us. So, um, yeah, I mean, as we were hearing, it's, it's, I mean, it's quite cool, isn't it? I mean, landing on the water and everything like that. And, I, I, and it makes sense because you don't have to pay the, the landing fees and what have you for, for an airport. But uh, Hong Kong's a pretty crowded place. How is this practical? Uh, for planes to start landing on our on our seas in Hong Kong, how how would that be regulated? Uh, uh, in, in, in my
my experience, in my in my days working for the Civil Aviation Department, uh, we have actually uh, looked at uh, something like this uh, on the request of uh, some parties. Uh, first of all, one must realize that uh, uh, a seaplane, although it lands on sea, but in many ways, uh, the requirements, uh, the protection of its arrival and departure path, and, and also is take off a sea lane, uh, there are provisions under the uh, International Civil Aviation Organization. Uh, if, if one were to think of uh, this seaplane take off from the Victoria Harbor or even somewhere around up to Chingma Bridge or, or Lei Moon, uh, I can see that uh, it would not be easy or very difficult to find, find a, a location suitable for seaplane, first of all. Uh, of course, uh, travel, traveling by, by seaplane is really a, a very uh, interesting and uh, novel way of, of travel to other other areas. I don't know whether you might know, I have actually tried some in Vancouver. There are a lot of seaplanes taking off from Vancouver, uh, which flies to, to very far away, a few hundred miles away, uh, Northern Territory, and then come back to Vancouver. Um, in the case of, uh, of, of Hong Kong, I think it, it, it will probably rely very much on uh, chartered services. Uh, regular service, I don't know. I don't know whether the uh, one, although the, the, the gentleman just now said that they will not, they not have to pay landing fees, but the, the sea, uh, the, land, uh, the, the landing ship on sea also need to be protected and there are also management and other costs. So one should not think that there will not be any, any, any related uh, charges. Sounds like, based on your past experience, you don't think this is very feasible, or at least as, um, at least in terms of running passenger services. And we haven't even talked about uh, the need for um, uh, regulatory approval from uh, mainland authorities. Uh, that is another aspect. Uh, I'm not falling cold water. Uh, there, we, we are surrounded by seas. There are a lot of, there are definitely areas uh, away from our busily built up area where there are a lot of uh, ship movements, uh, like in, in the, in the new, new territories, on the, in the eastern side of our of our territory, there are, I'm sure we can find a, a suitable uh, sea area for seaplane to take off and landing. But whether those locations are what the operator uh, would like to to operate or what passengers would like to to go is another issue. Yes, it's not going to be very convenient for passengers. I, mean, I was thinking of going to Macau. I mean, you could imagine, I suppose, seaplanes going to Macau, but you already have a helicopter service, don't you? And that's from the heart of town. Who's going to want to go out to some remote area to board a seaplane when you can board a helicopter uh, in town? You, you raise something very interesting from a historical point of view. In 1960s, we do have uh, seaplanes flying from Macau between Hong, Kong, between Hong Kong and Macau in those days. We do have, uh, because in those days, the Kowloon Bay area is, uh, pretty empty, and and uh, they just land on on. There, there was a, a sea room. Uh, technical terms is called sea room. We do have a sea room in Cowan Bay. Oh, no, it's been good. done in the past, but uh, uh, well, now you've got a bridge, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's true. So even le even less demand, and I it doesn't. I do wonder whether it, I mean they, the um, the they, they, the company says it hasn't even approached uh, either regulators either in Hong Kong or the mainland yet. Well, what kind of reaction they would get from mainland regulators to this kind of idea? Uh, as, as, as you as you I think you've just mentioned uh, in, in terms of actually using services between Hong Kong and other 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 locations uh, in the Greater Bay area, helicopter service is 
is a much more convenient and, and efficient way of uh, transporting passengers and cargo. They, they did say that they, that they wouldn't uh, duplicate uh, high-speed rail and helicopter routes, so that would that would rule out Macau. And they also so talk not... about flight. What, what, what is the Albert Land? What's the range of a seaplane? I mean, they talk about flying to Indonesia and uh, Vietnam. Well, I, from from what I saw on, uh, I did a little bit of search yesterday, uh, knowing that I have been uh, invited to this program. Uh, there are there are some twin otter or something similar to that. I'm not extremely familiar. Mm. Not very familiar. They they can, they can have a range. I, uh, I guess between at least seven hundred to a thousand miles. Uh, there's no, no no doubt about it. Uh, Right. Well, that's a lot of Asia. So there might be uh, there might be a market in more long distance services then to uh, secondary. Uh, but but there is an opportunity. Uh, uh, if that seaplane can also land uh, on on hard surface, some sea some aeroplane can both land on sea and land on hard surfaces. What about this idea of, of a? Uh, they've also promoted this as I say, like Uber. They'd say you could hail it on an app. Uh, which again is quite cool—the thought that you could <laughs> order a seaplane on an app. Uh, can, can you? Is it possible to sort of, you know, organise flying like that? Just making a booking on an app is similar to making a telephone call with, with the company. Under mm. uh, uh, already prearranged uh, uh, procedures and provided that 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 that, uh, that that sort of flight is approved by the regulatory authority. Probably in such situation, it, it will more like, most likely be chartered uh, service rather than scheduled services. Mm. Uh, and Akim Cherney, you know, how does this whole fit into the uh, the whole plan for uh, the Greater Bay Area? Uh, are they thinking of a sort of coordination uh, between the various uh, airports, and what part will Hong Kong uh, Hong Kong International Airport play in all of that? Now, the Greater Bay, Bay Area is a, is a very important political uh, terminology, and it covers a very, a, a very large area with uh, with many, uh, 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 say, fair-sized cities like uh, with a minimum population of say uh, half a million people um, uh, worldwide. Uh, any city with a half a million people, in my recollection, uh, may have should have an, an airport, a regional. A, uh, a domestic airport. Uh, they, they, I'm sure there there will be a lot of such cities uh, for 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 aeroplane to operate between Hong Kong, Hong Kong, and, and them. However, um, how to get the regulatory approval? I think it is up to the uh, both uh, both sides to to look at and see what what the uh, requirements are and what the what the forecast demands are. Uh, uh, I, I'm sure I myself will be very positive, uh, but it doesn't mean that the Greater Bay Area is, 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 is a fantastic place for aviation. <laughs> I think if we want to use the word fantastic, probably helicopter service will have a lot of uh, development potentials. Mm. And Akim Cherney, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think definitely uh, uh, Mr. Salam is the, the, uh, the greater expert in, in this area, so I, I don't think I have much to add here. Okay. All right. Well, thank you both very much indeed for, for, for joining us this morning. Uh, we'll see if that comes to pass. I, I've got to say, a sightseeing tour for $250 on a seaplane. It does seem it's very... cheaper than Ocean Park. Yeah, I know. I, I have trouble believing that figure. <laughs> we shall see. A uh, couple more comments. Yeah, Mike says, could I catch an Uber to the Philippines or to uh, Taiwan? Well, perhaps it would be within range.
And uh, a couple of uh, contrasting uh, comments on our earlier discussion to uh, finish off today. Sam says, Dear Bank Chat, Emily Lau is a lost case and spent force. No use to Hong Kong. She cozied with the colonial rulers and never demanded universal franchise from them. What democracy is she demanding? She's now a plant of a dark hand, hell-bent on destabilising Hong Kong. She could either accept the Chinese style of democracy and abide or vanish with her BNO passport from Hong Kong. We want peace here. We have suffered enough through the yellow movement, protests, rioters and now COVID. Thanks, that comes from Sam. Uh, and uh, James says, good morning and TGIF. As long as Hong Kong has an Emily Lau and a Michael Tin, there is some hope for the city. Thank you very much indeed for uh, all your comments uh, this morning uh, and this week. We can be back at uh, 8.30 on Monday. Danny, many thanks to you. The weather, it's going to be mainly fine and dry today, apart from a little bit of haze. Temperatures getting up to about 21 degrees and the outlook will be mainly fine in the next few days. Mild during the day tomorrow, uh, becoming cold appreciably on Sunday with some rain in the middle of next week. 17 degrees at the moment, the relative humidity is at 57%. Amid the epidemic, thanks to all for being self-disciplined to protect yourselves and others. Thanks for keeping up personal and environmental hygiene and contributing to fighting the virus. We must take further steps. Keep track of your whereabouts. If you are sick, don't go to work or school. See the doctor and get tested promptly. We will prevail over the epidemic. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. Fight, Fight the, the virus. virus. Stay, Stay vigilant. vigilant. 9.33, the news now with Barry O'Rourke. Indonesia's disaster mitigation agency says at least three people have died and 24 have been injured after an earthquake struck the island of Sulawesi. The quake had a magnitude of 6.2. Hundreds of people have been evacuated. The US Vice President Mike Pence says he will ensure a safe inauguration for Joe Biden next week as security is ramped up across the nation. Mr Pence said the FBI had already identified 200 suspects who could be planning further unrest following last week's storming of Congress by supporters of President Trump. And mainland health authorities reported 144 new COVID cases today, up from 138 yesterday. The National Health Commission said 135 were locally transmitted, with 90 coming from Hebei near Beijing and 43 from Heilongjiang. The News Bulletin from RTHK. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your show. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Morning, morning, and welcome to Friday. I'm Phil Whelan. This is the Morning Brew, and we're doing it till one, as always. So all of our chefs are chefing today, which actually can't really be a bad thing. So we're going to resume the morning.